Hello, this is President Donald Trump, and I have something big to tell you. Oh boy. I can't wait. What will it be? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. A little scared today, and I am. I'm wondering yeah. how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Clowns and jokers, beware. Yes, from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM People Powered Radio in LA. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 92.9 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950. KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker. All around, Swell Fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another award-wanting episode of the Bradcast. Glad to have you here. Uh, Desi Doyen, I don't know if you have heard this yet. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I don't have the audio for it yet. But someone just posted the, uh, the Chiron from MSNBC uh, before going on air today. Uh, this was uh, from... Um, uh, from MSNBC uh, during uh, today's White House press briefing with Sean Spicer. Now, I don't make a habit. I don't know if you do, Des. I, I, I actually I make a habit of not watching the White House press, <laughs> press briefing each day. Really? I know. Because he just lies. He just makes stuff up. There's no actual real information, as far as I'm concerned, from those White House press press briefings. So I don't watch them anymore. They you know, they're funny. They're whatever. Uh, but I don't watch them. But this caught my eye because uh, there was somebody put a screenshot from MSNBC on Twitter, uh, which, according to the graphic at the bottom, said, uh, quote, Hitler. This is um, quoting Sean Spicer, White House press spokesper- spokesperson, saying uh, Hitler didn't sink to the level of using chemical weapons like the Syrian leader did. Uh, and MSNBC mercifully adds in parentheses, uh, thank you, MSNBC, for this. They add in parentheses, Hitler gassed millions. Yeah, that was a... On the same Chiron. A, a, sort of a, a mind-boggling misspeaking would be putting it generously. Somebody's doing some uh, wild backstroking right around now, uh, oh, trying yeah. to get their way out of that. I, and I, Now, listen, I don't know who personally was behind the latest chemical attack in Syria last week. The White House and the U.S. military says it was Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Uh, as far as I know, there has yet to be any international investigation of the incident. But I'm pretty sure 
sure that we know that Hitler <laughs> sunk way below that level, if yeah. that's what Sean uh, Spicer was trying to trying to uh, suggest. Uh, hopefully we can find out very soon because, well, this White House continues to be amazingly embarrassing uh, and unfortunately really, really incompetent and therefore very, very scary. As far as I'm concerned, uh, as we noted yesterday on the program on, on the heels of this uh, U.S. rocket attack on that on that airfield in Syria, said to have been in retaliation for the uh, for that last chemical attack last week that killed 87, including 31 children, injured hundreds more. Uh, the White House is reportedly on the on the heels of that. Uh, the White House is now reportedly sending a strike force carrier group to the Korean Peninsula in what could result in some sort of military strike against North Korea, which, by the way, unlike Syria, uh, actually has nuclear weapons. So we'll go to the White House shortly to speak with Steve Herman. Uh, he has spent decades based in Asia, reporting from there, covering the region for Voice of America. Uh, he is now the, uh, the, the chief of uh, Voice of America's chief White House bureau uh, correspondent. Uh, we'll ask him. We'll try to figure out what the hell is going on, uh, A, with Sean Spicer and that comment, if that's what he said. And, uh, and frankly, much more importantly, how concerned the world should be uh, right now about this strike force heading towards Korea. That's got me very concerned. Well, yeah, uh, it's, and a, it's not it's getting a, rather... a lot of not getting a lot of coverage as much coverage as I think it should. But maybe I'm wrong. We'll find out what uh, what Steve Herman has to say. He's usually quite good at uh, getting me to. To, to chill out, Brad. Chillax, Brad. <laughs> yes, he is very good at explaining things. It does seem to me like sending a strike force carrier group is is a bigger um, move than has been made by past administrations. So this is all very troubling, and that's uh, very troubling. <laughs> meanwhile, yes, it is. Uh, meanwhile, uh, back on the home front here, Americans are uh, trying to figure out how to respond to this White House, American voters themselves. Today in Kansas... Uh, at the polling place, they're doing exactly that. Voters uh, in the otherwise extremely conservative Wichita area are voting today uh, in the in the uh, special election to fill the U.S. House seat left vacant by Congressman Mike Pompeo, who is now Trump's uh, CIA director. We discussed the race on on yesterday's broadcast in some detail with uh, Howie Klein of Down with Tyranny, along with uh, the several other races to replace. Uh, House seats that are now vacated by tr new Trump appointees uh, in Kansas, in Georgia and in Montana, where now in all three states, the Democratic candidates uh, in those uh, three states are surprisingly very, very competitive. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but very competitive. Uh, the reason I'm surprised is because there are other these are otherwise deeply red Republican U.S. House districts. Um, and uh, we got a little bit of extra news here. For example, in the uh, in the final hours, uh, Cook Political Report uh, says today, this is David Wa David Wasserman over there, and the final hours of the special election to replace CIA Director Mike Pompeo in, Wich in Wichita, Kansas, Republicans are expressing alarm that Democrat James Thompson is within striking distance of carrying a seat that President Trump won by 27 points last November. Although GOP State Treasurer Ron Estes 
remains the favorite heading into Election Day. The Cook Political Report says we are shifting our rating from likely Republican to lean Republican. Now, the Cook Political Report is uh, they look at all of the House races across the country. They you know figure out which ones are, are likely Republican and lean Republican, which ones are likely Democrat, lean Democrat, and which ones are toss-ups. Um, they go on to uh, Wasserman reports uh, Republicans familiar with recent polling describe extremely high Democratic intensity, very low GOP enthusiasm in what is likely to be a very low turnout special election. More than that, he writes, Estes appears to be swept up in last minute in a last minute vortex of factors outside of his control. Democrats anger towards Trump, independents anger towards Republican Governor Sam Brownback. Uh, we didn't get to go into detail on this yesterday with Howie Klein, but Brownback lost a whole bunch of his um, very conservative partners in the uh, in the state assembly last November. Dozens of them, many of them replaced by uh, other Republicans, more moderate Republicans. But this was a huge blow to the very unpopular Kansas governor, Sam Brownback. Uh, and, of course, uh, Wasserman notes uh, GOP dissatisfaction with early Trump administration failures. Another reason for uh, the Kansas 4th uh, District's upset potential could be the manner of Estes's nomination. The special election process fell to a committee of several dozen local GOP officials rather than having a primary, which would have forced Estes to engage with base voters earlier. Uh, and so forth. A number of uh, Republican notables, including Senator Ted Cruz, headed to Wichita at the 11th hour in a bid to boost a lethargic base. And I can't I need to underscore this is not just Kansas. This is Wichita, Kansas. This is the very epicenter of the uh, conservative movement, the conservative what they call the conservative movement, the anti-abortion movement in Kansas. It's also home to Coke Industries. An internal Republican poll, uh, this according to uh, the uh, Kansas City Star, shows Estes leading the race as uh, Election Day happens here today by just one point, by just one point wow. as of last week. In this deep red district in yep. deep red Kansas. Yep. Only leading by one point. One point uh, in front of the Democrat James Thompson and the libertarian Chris Rockhold. Uh, so Republicans are freaking out enough that uh, Donald Trump has been drafted to create a, uh, a robocall that has been going out uh, today and over the past several days to Kansas Republicans in hopes of energizing them. Uh, here's that robocall. Hello, this is President Donald Trump, Hello. and I have something big to tell you. This Tuesday, April 11th, there is a very important special election for Congress in Kansas. On Tuesday, Republican Ron Estes needs your vote and needs it badly. Ron is a conservative badly. leader who's going to work with me to make America great again. We're going to do things really great for our country. Our country needs help. Ron is going to be helping us big league. But I need Republicans like Ron Estes to help me get the job done. This is an important election. There's really few very much more important. And I need your vote for Ron Estes on Tuesday. So April 11th, Tuesday, please join me in supporting Republican Ron Estes for Congress. He's going to help me do a really, really good job for our country. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
that was a that really good job. Uh, going to do things really great for our country. <laughs> uh, big league, all the Trumpisms. Uh, but notice, not one actual issue, not a single issue mentioned in that call. That's true. Uh, you didn't say he's going to help me with with health care. Didn't say he's going to help me with bash uh, immigrants. Bash immigrants. Uh, keep America safe. Tax uh, tax reform. Didn't say one thing. Um, Mother Jones, Tim Murphy notes that even if Estes prevails, which is uh, which is still thought to be the case, as Cook Political Report says, it's still leaning Republican. If uh, Estes prevails, uh, as expected, uh, Thompson's campaign, that's James Thompson, the uh, the Democratic candidate, is is notable for a few reasons. Uh, he's an army veteran and a civil rights attorney from Wichita. Thompson is a political novice who was inspired to run by the Bernie Sanders campaign. Oh, cool. He actually picked up the endorsement of the, the Sanders political outfit, Our Revolution, and appeared at an event with uh, the Vermont senator back in February. And his platform is a mix of progressive populism and red state credentials, as Murphy notes. Uh, he wants a $15 minimum wage. He said in a recent online interview that he likes the idea of single payer health care. So he's not running away from those progressive platforms in the reddest of red Kansas. Uh, although he does note that he believes single payer won't happen anytime in the near future. Uh, and then he cut a campaign ad in which he shoots an assault rifle. <laughs> so it's so he's a got mix both. of all that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, But remember, this is in a district that Donald Trump won by 27 points just last November. And here, as we discussed yesterday and as Mother Jones also notes today, the Democratic National Committee never offered any money to the state party in this race. The state party itself balked at Thompson's request for a mere $20,000, was all he was asking, to win a U.S. House seat as a bellwether going into all of these other special elections and going into the 2018 election. Uh, The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, uh, they only got involved on Monday of this week. Yikes. Uh, Instead, uh, Thompson ended up building a campaign uh, on thousands of small dollar donations in the mold of uh, of Bernie Sanders, his political icon. And that, by the way, as the National Republican Congressional Campaign, the uh, the House Republicans campaign arm, they have now reportedly infused nearly one hundred thousand dollars into this race in the final days, according to CNN. Going back to uh, Wasserman at uh, the Cook Political Report, even a single digital, uh, I'm sorry, a single digit loss here for Democrats uh, would in a seat like Kansas 04 would portend big trouble for Republicans in next week's special primary election in Georgia 06, where there is a real chance that Democrat John Ossoff, who is dramatically outspending the rest of the field while the uh, main Republican contenders are turning on each other, that's a primary. But if John Ossoff hits 50 percent uh, next Tuesday, 50 percent plus one in Georgia, yeah, then they would avoid a runoff. Ossoff would win that seat outright. And Cook goes on to say, as such, we are moving Georgia 06 to toss up. Wow. It is now a toss-up in Georgia. Of course, they still shamefully vote on uh, 100% unverifiable touchscreens uh, there in Georgia, across the entire state. 
which is under the control of the hard right Republican Secretary of State Brian Kemp. So I don't know if uh, Democrats should get too excited, but it's certainly an amazing turn of events uh, and makes me, well, could democracy help fix this mess that democracy our version of it, in any event, uh, as uh, created in the first place, uh, that may be our best way out. I think right now it's our only way. I out, would agree. It frank. is our only way out. And and even if these guys don't, uh, even if the Democrats don't win these seats, the fact that they're doing so well, I think pretends very well for the country if we can keep up this level of engagement among voters who actually care about democracy and the country. Well, we will see what that engagement is. Uh, we'll of course have uh, reports on the. Uh, Kansas, uh, Kansas's reported results. They vote mostly on paper ballots, although they count them by computers. We'll have those uh, reports tomorrow. Uh, so uh, whether democracy can save democracy uh, <laughs> remains an open question, but some encouraging signs in any event for the moment. Less encouraging signs coming from the uh, from the White House uh, today and over the past weekend. We will go to the White House uh, for the latest uh, on what happened today in the White House press briefing. More of note, uh, what may be happening in North Korea. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Remember me, the guy who was warning you about Donald Trump from the day he entered the race, when the rest of the U.S. media were telling you his candidacy was a joke, that he'd never win, and that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. We told you otherwise from the beginning and up until Election Day. Well, we may have been right, but we still don't have corporate or foundational support. We still rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As noted on Monday's show, Syrian fighter jets were reportedly seen taking off, as usual, from the very same airfield on Saturday, which the Trump administration was said to have attacked, bombed with 59 cruise missiles from battleships based in the eastern Mediterranean on Friday. On Sunday, according to Reuters, North Korea vowed to bolster its defenses to protect itself against strikes like the ones Trump ordered against that air base in Syria. They called the airstrikes, quote, absolutely unpardonable and claimed they were justified in their uh, nuclear weapons program in order to protect the country against what they described as Washington's ever more reckless moves for a war. Those comments from North Korea also come in the wake of, a, of reports that a U.S. Navy strike group is said to be moving toward the western Pacific Ocean near the Korean Peninsula as a show of force, according to Reuters. Uh, that's a Reuters report from a U.S. official over the weekend. Even as concerns grow about North Korea's advancing nuclear weapons and intercontinental ballistic missile program, the strike group Carl Vinson is said to be making its way from Singapore toward the Korean Peninsula. And all of that 
after the Trump administration has made clear that a preemptive strike on the nuclear-armed North Korea is not off the table. Last week, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson released a, a terse statement, somewhat cryptic, following a uh, North Korean ballistic missile test last week, reading, quote, North Korea has launched uh, North Korea launched yet another intermediate range ballistic missile. The United States has spoken enough about North Korea. We have no further comment. That was it. Uh, today. Now we have reports from Reuters that North Korea warns of a nuclear strike if provoked by the U.S. So is the uh, Trump administration, with its still flagging poll numbers, heading towards yet another confrontation with yet another country at this point, and in this case, a nuclear-armed country? Here to uh, maybe talk me off the ledge on this one, as he has on occasion in the past, is Steve Herman. He's a veteran journalist, having spent 26 years based in Asia covering the region, including reporting from Tokyo, and as a Voice of America correspondent and bureau chief in India, Korea, and Thailand. He only recently returned stateside to become Voice of America's senior diplomatic correspondent based out of the State Department. And he is now Voice of America's White House Bureau Chief and joins us today from the White House. Steve Herman, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. A pleasure, Brad, and you've uh, summarized all that very nicely. Thank you, sir. Uh, And actually, I'm sorry to hear that. I was hoping I got something terribly wrong. Uh, Let me just say, it's nice to have you back here on the show and and not have to ask you to wake up, uh, stay up till all hours of the night to join us from Asia for a change. Uh, Though I suspect joining us from the White House these days may be just as exhausting, uh, I suspect. So uh, thank you. Uh, first, I got before we get to North Korea, Steve. I got a couple of points I want to ask you about. I don't know if you were at today's press briefing or not. Yes, I was. <laughs> uh, yes, so yes. It, it, you you may know what I'm about to ask you. Then uh, yes. did did I'm sh- working on the story. Uh, uh, I, I assume uh, what you're going to ask me. Go uh, ahead. Well, we'll find out. Uh, did Sean Spicer really say that Hitler never used chemical weapons, as is being uh, reported over the past hour here? The precise quote was, you had someone as despicable as Hitler who didn't even think to using chemical weapons, trying to make a comparison there very clumsily to Bashar al-Assad and his military dropping sarin gas on Syrian civilians last week. And uh, reporters, uh, I, I, I think everybody, it took a minute for it to sink in, and then there was that uh, response, what about the Holocaust? And uh, uh, Spicer uh, responded that he understood the point. Uh, but uh, that Hitler had, he said, used chemical weapons in what he, he referred to as Holocaust centers. Um, but then, digging himself even deeper uh, into this, said, quote, he was not using the gas on his own people the same way that Ashad, he didn't say Assad, he said Ashad, is doing. Oh. Um, oh and and uh, I mean, there were gasps in the White House press room at, at that uh, point. Uh, yeah. And um, now, he later issued, I, I would say, uh, it was in a matter of minutes, not hours, following uh, the, um, the briefing, and mm-hmm. he, he, he then put out a written statement, which I think was sort of his fourth attempted clarification on this so far, and the day is not over yet. Uh, and he said, quote, in no way was I trying to lessen the horrendous nature of the Holocaust, 
I was trying to draw a distinction of the tactic of using airplanes to drop chemical weapons on population centers. Any attack on innocent people is reprehensible and inexcusable. If he had just come out and said what James Mattis over at the Pentagon just said was, quote, even in World War II, chemical weapons were not used on battlefields. Mm. You know, that everybody would have understood that. But, you know, anytime you bring up comparisons to Hitler saying, you know, this is worse than the Nazis or whatever, you, you are getting into very uh, a dangerous a rhetorical and semantic uh, uh, territory. And that's exactly what happened to Sean Spicer. Uh, yeah, very dangerous uh, territory indeed. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I suspect he's going to be backing out of that one for the next few days. Um, uh, one more point uh, I want to ask you about before we get to Korea here. I know that uh, you were uh, you came back uh, stateside um, uh, initially to report to cover over at the uh, State Department. Did you move over to the White House before or after the uh, the State Department seemingly all but shut down its press office? As I understand, they're no longer giving daily briefings for the first time in anyone's memory. Right. Is that why you moved over to the White House or was that done before no, that? No, I I was um, asked, uh, basically, I think it was just a coincidence on the timing, but I did overlap uh, with the new Secretary of State uh, very briefly, and I did cover his uh, trip down to Mexico City, uh, on which there was, uh, there was no uh, reporter on the plane, which was, uh, which was extraordinary. Uh, and, and I, shortly after that, uh, moved over to the White House. Probably a number of days or weeks. Uh, how how much of a of a handicap does that put the uh, well the the public and the media at with without those uh, daily press briefings? Uh, you know, we we were talking on this show before the uh, actually before the inauguration when there was some talk that the White House itself might stop its daily press briefings. Uh, given what Sean Spicer said today, maybe that would be a good idea. But uh, we, we were you know discussing that you know maybe. In one sense, those briefings where you sort of have, you know, people, reporters sitting around basically transcribing what the, uh, you know, the officials say, maybe that's not quite as useful as it would be if those same reporters got out and did some actual shoe leather reporting. Um, how much of a handicap does that put the, the, the media and the public in to not have those daily briefings uh, at, at some place like yeah. the State Department? Well. First of all, I think I think our job is to do both. It's it's to get out and and, and do the shoe leather type of reporting, calling calling people on phones, knocking on doors, and, mm -hmm. and most news organizations are doing that. You, and including some of the people that um, that sit in on these uh, briefings. Mm -hmm. uh, but one thing I think we need to consider is that public diplomacy is a very big role for the State Department, and what is said from the podium on the podium at the State Department articulates what is U.S. policy. Okay, and these briefings are watched very, very carefully uh, around the world. Uh, they're different in that sense than the White House briefings, which tend to be pretty heavy on uh, domestic policy issues and politics and the personality of the president, and that's true in any administration. Mm -hmm. um, and you have uh, reporters uh, sometimes, because they're televised, who are uh, perhaps grandstanding a bit, and you have press secretaries who grandstand as well. The briefings at 
the State Department, I think for the casual observer, can be a bit more of um, of a very wonkish. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the reporters over there are, I would say, a different caliber than those who are here at the White House and having being being somebody who's now covered both the State Department and the White House. The, there's much more drilling down on policy and trying to clarify it. Um, at the State Department, and not you don't have the gotcha questions that you you know t- t- typically would have over here at the White House. Gotcha. So I I think most of us look at those State Department briefings as as something that's that's a, a vital aspect of American diplomacy, actually. And and I think it's particularly missed when you see a, a you know a comment like that released by the State Department uh, on behalf of Tillerson saying. The United States has spoken enough about North Korea. We have no further comment. That alone is troubling. Uh, But I'm just very troubled by this saber rattling that seems to now be underway between the Trump administration and North Korea. You, Steve Herman, have always been ridiculously level headed uh, when we've when we've spoken in the past, including when you were reporting from, you know, during the worst of the Fukushima nuclear power plant crisis. Uh, where you were personally reporting. So I'm, I'm hoping you can put me at ease here now, Steve. Uh, this strike force heading towards the Korean Peninsula, uh, will this not be seen as a provocation for North Korea and, frankly, a justification for all of their own, uh, their nuclear program, their ballistic missile program, and everything else? Yes and maybe. Yes, they will will definitely see this as a provocation, but they see a lot of things that the United States does, including routine military exercises, as a provocation. Uh, as far as what action this could lead to, that is the huge question mark. Uh, I would say definitely we are in a period of higher tension uh, because of the actions that North Korea has is taken, and then the the reaction and and and, and the, uh, the the change of direction for uh, this uh, carrier strike group uh, heading up uh, towards the Korean Peninsula. Now, uh, Secretary Mattis at his briefing at the Pentagon just um, uh, a little while ago. Uh, was asked about this and said that there was no specific demand signal for the movement of um, the um, the carrier strike group towards the Korean Peninsula, seeming to play it down a bit. But the fact that they signaled this so publicly and so mm-hmm. quickly, uh, and coming right after the meeting uh, down in Florida, where, where I was at uh, with mm-hmm. with President Trump and President Xi, I, I think we can link all this together. Now. One thing I hope will make you feel perhaps a little bit more at ease as the the latest threat uh, coming out of Pyongyang, which uh, a lot of the cable networks um, are reporting today about the threat of of North Korea retaliating with nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, uh, that's we've heard those sort of statements before, uh, and number two. Uh, they do not have the uh, capability to uh, bolt a, a nuclear warhead onto a intercontinental ballistic missile and reach you in Los Angeles. Okay, <laughs> that may be different five years from now, and that's what this whole debate is about. At what point do you you know do you say, look, we've we've just got to we've got to do what we did with Iran? You know, either there's a the diplomatic resolution to stop this program, or we consider 
uh, something else. Now, also these statements that have come out about, you know, all options are on the table, in, 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 including, uh, you know, a, a strike, that's always been there. There are always all these options on the table, regardless of the administration. And uh, there have been previous administrations where uh, things came very, very close to uh, very serious um, military exchanges between the United States and North Korea in the Carter administration and in the Clinton administration, uh, for example. Let let me press you on this uh, a bit, Steve, because you say, well, we've heard these statements before from uh, from North Korea, and that is true. But, you know, in the past, uh, you know, if they see military exercises as uh, as as provocation, at least the U.S. can say, hey, no, we're not we're we're just doing exercises. We're not actually provoking whether North Korea believes that or not is a different issue. But here you have, you know, these reports, you got Tillerson saying everything is off the table. We have spoken, you know, we, we the U.S. has spoken enough reports of a. Uh, a strike group headed to the peninsula. This seems to be a, uh, a, a several degrees above at least what I'm aware of in in the past. And it would seem to, you know, North Korea for years, if and correct me if I'm wrong here, but they have been claiming that, you know, the U.S. is preparing to strike them any day now. And that's why they need to do this. And here we seem to be playing right into that, uh, you know, maybe propaganda from North Korea, but it seems like we're playing right into their hands in that regard. Well, the, 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 the tension on the Korean Peninsula has been a roller coaster for many, many decades. And I think one thing never to forget is the Korean War never ended. Right. An armistice was signed, mm-hmm. a cessation of hostilities. And one thing that the, the North Koreans have been pressing for is they, they wanted a peace treaty. Um, but they have a lot of conditions that have been unacceptable to both Seoul and Washington for that peace treaty. Putting that aside, in the latest comments also, I watch these things very carefully. I I always look at the wording and who is issuing it, and that tells me exactly how serious the threats are coming out of North Korea, because if you just read this stuff without any context, Mm -hmm. you would think war is going to break out tomorrow, or we should say resumption of the war. Right. In this case, the latest statement has come from a spokesperson at the foreign ministry. Okay, that is a relatively low level and very mild threat. And I would say the language was also relatively mild. Although when you put nuclear the threats of nuclear attack, you would you would think it's pretty serious. Yes. But as I said, you know this is par for the course for the North Koreans. When you start to see. Uh, uh, threats that are issued in the name of the military command, okay, at the higher levels Uh. in Pyongyang, then you need to to start getting significantly worried. We are not there yet. Um, And and I think right now, though, the ball is in the court of Kim Jong-un. These celebrating some some anniversaries right now, these are usually... um, accompanied by some sort of um, grand uh, display of military prowess. Uh, So, yes, we could see further um, launches of um, perhaps intermediate-range ballistic missiles into the Sea of Japan, uh, the eastern waters off the Korean Peninsula. 
uh, or we could see a sixth nuclear test. We know the preparations have been made. I've been watching this closely in recent days, trying to glean exactly what's going on. And uh, there's some speculation that a test could come at any day. Uh, and then we're, go- we're now in a position where you know, the Trump administration has to decide, does it respond like it, you know, does it lob some some tomahawks into mm-hmm. the, the the site of either the the, the, the where, where the nuclear test occurred or to the uh, base where the uh, ballistic missile is launched some of these are mobile and but we can figure out pretty quickly where they come from mm-hmm. uh, now I think over the years the decades of course the United States has been lobbing uh, uh, cruise missiles into to many countries right. The North Koreans, I think, though, that this would be considered such a provocation, such an insult to the dignity of Kim Jong-un, that uh, they would not um, stand idly by uh, after something like that happened. Uh, and and I am certain that um, the Pentagon is giving counsel to the national security uh, apparatus and, and word would get up to the president that uh, you know if we do this we can expect that um, you know Kim Jong Un may do something that um, um, could uh, you know basically really ratchet things up to to um, to, and, to the loss of and, life and of, frankly of innocent civilians in South Korea and and, and yeah and that's kind of what I'm worried about I mean I'm I, I'm put it at, at, at some comfort to hear you say that you are confident that word is getting up to the White House about what the response would be uh, you know if they lobbed in some uh, missiles into North Korea because it seems like it would be a uh, a much worse situation than, frankly, what we're seeing in, in Syria after lobbing missiles into there, into this country that is otherwise occupied with its own civil war. You know, the the White House foreign policy has been, uh, to put it nicely here, Steve Herman, uh, sort of a combination of schizophrenic and or non-existent. I mean, our officials, I know while they're not speaking publicly about this, um, you know, is the White House, the State Department, are they speaking at least on background of, of uh, what may come of this carrier group and that, in fact, the president is being briefed on what would happen in the cases you're talking about, uh, where, you know, where we lobbed in some missiles? That's what I'm most worried about, that he just gives the command because... You know, he he needs a show of force, uh, and I'm talking well, about Trump, not yeah. uh, own here. Brad, what we keep hearing over and over again from 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 Spicer at at the at the lectern uh, in the briefing room here, and others is that um, uh, President Trump is not going to telegraph um, specifically what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. But I think you know one thing you can say whether you're uh, a vehement opponent of the president or a, a supporter uh, of his is he has essentially uh, kept his word or been trying to keep his word on things that he said uh, during the campaign and on uh, Twitter. And he has said uh, before, during, and after his meeting with Xi Jinping in Florida that uh, if China can't solve this uh, problem with um North Korea, then then we will, mm-hmm. and uh, I would not doubt at all, uh, based on uh, the president's track record so far, that um, he will um, try to do something at some point 
Uh, and uh, now the question is is whether Kim Jong Un says, okay, you know, the, the United States is sending up this carrier strike group, which you know give, gives the United States. Uh, uh, a very um, easy opportunity to do what it did in uh, Syria just, uh, you know, last week. Um, and maybe I have to take them more seriously now that if I do set off another IRBM test or I do a nuclear weapons test, uh, that we're, we're going to have some incoming. And uh, do I really um, want to um, risk the possibility of all-out war with the United States right now. Now, uh, there are also generals in North Korea, the People's Liberation Army. And there's a a veteran uh, uh, observer, a Russian uh, academic, Andrei Lonkov, and he says the wish of the North Korean generals is to uh, die in bed of old age with their mistresses. <laughs> okay, yeah. meaning you know they're not they're not uh, you know they've got it easy and you know they they don't want to necessarily start a war for no good reason. Well, I I, I hope you're right because uh, a lot of what you're saying is actually not making me feel better, Steve Herman. Uh, before I let you go, uh, quick question: Are are you what are you hearing from your colleagues uh, who are still reporting from? Uh, from China and South Korea, etc. Are those uh, countries, are, are, are they currently in support of, uh, you know, I, I want to call this antagonism that Trump seems to be pushing here. You know, there was there was talk of, uh, you know, basing nuclear weapons inside of South Korea. I'm not exactly clear how that would prove uh, any kind of deterrent, frankly, to the north uh, other than be you know seen as more of a provocation. But uh, maybe we can get some confidence from, you know, uh, other governments at this point, from China, from South Korea. What are you hearing uh, from those countries? Well, I, I think there is a tremendous amount of frustration with Kim Jong-un. And that, uh, the, you know, the Chinese argument has been from some, some years, look, you know, we've tried. We can't, we can't control this guy, uh, you know, as much as we could his father or grandfather. Um, and they are putting some economic pressure, uh, the Chinese, on, on the North Koreans. Uh, South Koreans realize that uh, they would bear the brunt within a matter of minutes of anything that got out of hand. Yeah. And no South Korean president you know, wanted to, 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 to start a, a war, even though they know that the North Koreans couldn't win it, because, I mean, it would just be, uh, there would be the potential of horrific mass uh, casualties of South Korean civilians, and it, it would wreck the economy for, for many, many years to come, perhaps. You have a very interesting situation right now in South Korea where there's an acting president and prime minister, okay? So you may have some. You may have the military having a much stronger influence in South Korea right now because there's not a, a politician in place who has to worry about saving his own skin. Because mm. you know South South Korean uh, political leaders resign at the drop of a hat and uh, for, for 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 even relatively minor things. Mm-hmm. Um, in Japan, uh, you have Shinzo Abe as prime minister. He is a, uh, a much tougher guy than uh, probably most of his um, predecessors in the post-World War II era. Um, he's come out with um, a very um, uh, strong uh, statements in support 
of uh, the, the, the Trump um, uh, approach to this, what little we know about it. And, and we also have uh, the Kyoto News Agency today. I put this out on um, uh, Twitter a little bit uh, earlier, where they were quoting uh, diplomatic sources in uh, Tokyo mm-hmm. as saying that, um, first of all, that uh, President, uh, uh, that the United States had made it clear even before the summit with uh, with Xi Jinping that a, uh, a military uh, strike uh, was something that was on the table, and that uh, here's, here's precisely what Kyoto also said in this story, that the Japanese government is leaning toward a view of a military strike on North Korea becoming a realistic option for the United States, uh, according to diplomatic sources. Mm. That's from the, the Kyoto News Agency, which is very plugged into things at the foreign ministry and the prime minister's office in Tokyo. Uh, oddly enough, I am, uh, maybe I take some comfort here from the fact that, you know, if China, if South Korea, if Japan, uh, if they are on board with what uh, Trump is doing here, and, and those uh, countries are certainly in the uh, earlier line of fire than, uh, than the U.S. In, in one regard, um, well, you know, maybe I can take some comfort in that. They know the, the, the mess we're going to be in, and if they're supporting what Trump seems to be doing here, maybe I can feel better about that. Uh, before I let you go, Steve, you had mentioned that, uh, that North Korea does not have, that I personally can feel better because uh, North Korea does not have the uh, missile uh, capability yet to reach L.A., Los Angeles, where we're based here. But uh, but can they reach, they can certainly reach South Korea. Can they reach uh, Hawaii? Can they reach other territories? What territories could they reach with their uh, current well, uh, weapons? Right. I, I think what's, what's important to emphasize is uh, I'm, I'm not aware of any credible analysis that they can put a nuclear warhead and uh, and launch it accurately anywhere via missile. Okay, there are there are other ways. Of course, you can cause havoc with mm-hmm. with um, with uh, nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. and you know that you could take up a whole program talking about that uh, uh, list of horrors. Uh, they have the definitely the ability to rain uh, a significant amount of artillery on Seoul. Uh, they have the ability to fire. Um, um, intermediate range uh, weapons, uh, missiles with conventional weapons. Uh, They can hit um, Japan, uh, where there are also U.S. military bases. They certainly have uh, missiles that can reach uh, Guam. Now, if you talk to people who study this, it's one thing to launch a missile in the air. It's another thing for it um, to uh, have... uh, uh, re-entry and, and with all the sophisticated guided systems on it to, to put it down precisely where you want to put it. They don't have that sort of uh, advanced um, uh, weapon systems as best as anyone can tell. So, yeah, if they just want to fire something off and, and point it towards a, a, a landmass uh, with, with some conventional weapons on it, they can certainly uh, do some damage. They also have submarines, okay? They have tanks. Uh, they have um, uh, a navy, uh, so there, there's no doubt that if they want to um, sort of uh, conduct a, a, a first strike or uh, what they would consider a response to something, uh, they can do it. Now, one thing I've observed uh, of them over many, many decades, they seem to have this amazing ability to do something provocative without it leading 
to a uh, you know an actual or military retaliation by the South Koreans in the U.S. Again, we may be in a different era here yes. with uh, President Trump, yep. and he may not want to have the sort of restraint that we saw through both Republican and Democratic administrations over many, many decades, several decades, I should say. Um, However, we have had close calls before. Things have been much more tense, and there have been been, uh, deaths, and I would say because we have not had a, a peace treaty signed, uh, for the Korean War, that there has always been the potential for that war to resume. There has, uh, but that was before a President Trump, which seems to me to change the math uh, in a very, very big way, uh, in a very tr- uh, troubling way, to be frank. Steve Herman, I'm uh, I'm glad you're back uh, stateside in any event, where I hope you'll be safer uh, than you might have been out there, uh, even though I suspect you'd love to be out there covering it. In any event, uh, Steve Herman uh, spent 26 years uh, covering Asia and is now back uh, with uh, stateside with the Voice of America as their White House bureau chief. Uh, joining us today from the White House. Uh, Steve, great talking to you, sir, and I hope we don't have to do that whole show about uh, where nuclear missiles can hit uh, in any time in the near future. I hope not either, Brad. Thank it's you. always great to talk to you. And to you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Steve Herman, follow his work at voanews.com. More importantly, on the Twitters, he has a great Twitter feed uh, that you should follow immediately. His uh, his Twitter handle is W7VOA. That's W7VOA for Steve Herman. And let's uh, let's try to lighten things up a little bit, shall we, Desi Doyen, (laughs) in the few minutes we have left? Uh, Yes, please. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Thank you. I feel better already. <laughs> Blue moon of Kentucky, keep yep. on well, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Russ P. on Facebook, Des, sends a note and says, Dear Brad and Desi, congratulations on your award-wanting broadcast. <laughs> you guys are almost too good at making the political <laughs> ugliness bearable. Well, I'm glad it's working out for you, Russ, because uh, I'm a wreck. Uh, so... Uh, well, that's a, that's quite the tagline. <clears throat> we make the political ugliness almost bearable. bearable yeah. <laughs> well, uh, let's try to do that here. Let's lighten things up a little bit here. Uh, maybe a pun intended uh, on that. Uh, we'll find out uh, before we get out today. Uh, this decision is being called, quote, a little ironic for those looking to restore restore the coal industry and bring back coal jobs. Don't look to the Kentucky Coal Museum to help. Although the museum was first built 
because the town it's in, Benham, was built on and around the coal mining industry in Kentucky. The museum is now turning to, wait for it, solar energy to combat rising electricity costs. <laughs> Had you heard the this story? The coal museum is turning to solar energy. Correct. Wow. The small town of Benham at its peak had only 3,000 residents. The number has since decreased dramatically with only 500 residents currently occupying the town. On their website, its description calls uh, calls it, quote, the little town that international harvester, coal miners, and their families built. Roger No, a former state representative who sponsored the legislation that created the coal museum in the first place, said, quote, it's a little ironic or coincidental that you are putting solar green energy on a coal museum. He said coal comes from nature. The sun rays come from nature. So it all works out to be a positive thing. <laughs> well, I agree. It all works out to be a positive thing. That I part mean, you agree with. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, I know that they're going to save a lot of money. Um, on their on their bills yeah. in order to be able to just take all that harvest, all that free energy falling from the sky. A lot of it. The building is owned by uh, Southeast Kentucky Community and Technical College, and the college is expected to save between $8,000 and $10,000 per year by switching partially to solar energy. Uh, the town's residents are described as being, quote, sort of in awe of this solar thing. Well, good. Right? Maybe it was something that they hadn't quite realized was as mature as this industry is and can actually like do some pretty big things. The town used to be a coal camp town, according to 85-year-old Mayor Wanda Humphrey, which explains why the population is apparently so tiny. Uh, Humphrey claims that she is the only mayor. I'm sorry, that she is only the mayor. Because no one else wanted the job in the tiny town. <laughs> She's uh, rather jovial, however, about the uh, size of the town. She told AP, it takes our entire police force. We have one person. We have Ryan Aww. to get me in the building and back out. Uh, the town's second building was a company commissary known as The Big Store, where Humphrey would visit every day after school to order an RC cola and a bag of peanuts charged to, to her uh, to her father's account. Today, that building houses the uh, Kentucky Coal Museum, which opened in 1994 with the help of some state funding. Uh, picking winners and losers, the uh, state was. Well, uh, it's the arts. Uh, it's a museum, it's the, right? Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, which is uh, even uh, the stranger that Kentucky decided to do it. The museum houses relics from the state's coal mining past, including some items from the personal collection of coal miner's daughter, country singer Loretta Lynn, it's also the best place in town to get the most direct sunlight, which made it an ideal location for solar panels on Kentucky's Coal Museum. Oh, the irony. You had mentioned that uh, David Roberts, our yes. friend from uh, Grist, no, from, from, from uh, Vox.com Vox now, now. Yeah, now yes. about this. David Roberts had written about this. That's where I saw it. It was actually a very funny article. He said, you know, the Trump administration doesn't do anything subtly. They've tried very hard. Trump has tried very hard to revive the coal industry, despite the fact that analysts the world over have been telling him repeatedly coal is not going to come back. So here he is, you know, the Kentucky Coal Museum is putting it sort of in his face to say, you know, coal isn't coming back. We're going to move to solar panels. And then he finished by saying, you know, and that's the thing. Coal belongs in a museum and in the ground. It doesn't belong anywhere else. 
Well done. Well said. Uh, my thanks. Uh, and with that, on that encouraging note, let's get the hell out of here today, shall we? My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to my guest, uh, Steve Herman of VOANews.com. And again, particularly as things may heat up, I want to say may, may heat up in North Korea. You'll want to follow him on the uh, on the Twitters at W7VOA. Thanks to all of you who have spent a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com or at your uh, your favorite uh, podcast site like iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn when you stop by and uh, grab the show from there. I hope you'll leave us a good review. That makes it a little bit easier for everyone else in the whole wide world to find us. You can drop us an email as well. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. I had hoped to get into that that uh, huge, frankly, huge ruling out of Texas concerning um, uh, the state's photo ID law that broke just, be- just as we... Just before we were going off air yesterday, I'm going to hold that until tomorrow so we have, we have plenty of time to cover it. Barring any surprises between now and then, but what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so we'll see you then. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.